Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward today to speaking with Jane Hunter. Jane is known around the world as the First Lady of New Zealand Wine. As owner, viticulturist and managing director of Hunter's Wine since 1987, Jane has led the company to outstanding local and international success as one of New Zealand's groundbreaking premium wine labels. Born in South Australia, Jane's father was a contract grape grower. She gained a degree in agricultural science at the University of Adelaide, then moved to New Zealand in the 1980s, where she headed up Montana's viticulture team. Jane met and married Irishman Ernie Hunter in 1984, and after his untimely death in 1987, Jane took over running Hunter's Wines, which Ernie had established in Marlborough in 1978. The winery has continued to grow in size, annual output, and reputation. Hunter's has grown to five times its original size, and the list of awards and accolades is very impressive, now having won over 250 gold medals and more than 45 trophies, both in New Zealand and around the world. Jane herself has also won national and international recognition for her work. Some of the highlights include receiving a companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit in the 2009 New Zealand New Year's Honours Lists for services to the viticulture industry, as well as being the first ever woman to be inducted into the New Zealand Wine Hall of Fame in 2013, and also being inducted into the New Zealand Business Hall of Fame in 2019. I can't wait to hear more about Jane's career journey. Kia ora Jane, and thank you very much for joining me today. Good morning, Anna. Pleasure. Jane, I wonder that the first question that I like to start with people as part of these interviews is taking them back to either when they were a child or a teenager and thinking back then, what did you want to do or be when you grew up? Well, I have to say it definitely wasn't going to be staying on a vineyard. We worked on the vineyard when we were little, obviously, driving tractor for dad as he loaded fruit. It was a lot more manual than it is nowadays. And we had groups of Italian grape pickers. And so after school, we were on the tractor, as I said, while they were loading fruit and then helping out with little bits of pruning and so on. But it wasn't something we had to do, but um, I quite enjoyed it. But it wasn't really something that I thought I was going to do. I guess like a lot of young girls, I went through the stage of maybe looking at being a nurse or a vet kind of came to mind because I quite liked animals. But to be honest, I really didn't have any idea what I was what I wanted to be. And even through secondary school, I didn't really have any clear direction on what I wanted to be. So where I've ended up, to a lot of people, myself included, has been quite astounding. Mm. And it's quite normal, I think, having spoken to quite a few people as part of these interviews, it's been the anomaly. It's been a rarity where people have known somehow as a kid or as a teenager what they wanted to do when they grew up. So having said, oh, yes, I'm not sure that working in a vineyard or working in viticulture was what you wanted to do. It is what you ended up doing. Tell me about that journey to how you ended up actually coming back to, to viticulture. 
Okay, so I, I went to a very small country school, 80 pupils total, and really enjoyed school and sport and all the things associated with living out in the country. Um, I went to Adelaide to school when I was 11, to boarding school, and went to an Anglican girls' school, um, initially run by nuns, but later the nuns moved on and it was just an Anglican girls' school. Very small, kindergarten right through to final year, 500 girls in total. Total, I ended up in a science class, although my best marks were always in history and English. Again, it was always a bit, I had a bit of a struggle at school and I was asked back to do the speech night talk some years ago and people, as I said, were quite amazed again at what I'd done because I was pretty hopeless at school. Um, I left school absolutely, as I said, not knowing what I was going to do. So I just enrolled in a general science course and did a year of that and then in my second year, for some reason, decided that, yeah, maybe farming or agriculture was somewhere that I would like to go. So uh, friends of my parents took me out to Roseworthy Agricultural College, which is on the outskirts of Adelaide. And I thought, this looks pretty good. I'd quite like this. But unfortunately, they didn't take girls. So mm. I couldn't go there. So I changed in my second year of university to the agricultural science course, a four-year course. And again, stuck with the animal side of things. And then when I got into that, I was working on a farm way over on the west coast of South Australia. It was hot and dusty and great big animal beasts and so on. And I thought, I think I'll go back and change to viticulture. So I got back and my last year of university, I changed to viticulture and to entomology. So that's how I got into being back into grape growing. It's interesting, so even that actually they didn't admit girls to the agricultural college. I'm going to come back and ask a question later a, a bit more related to that. But you, of course, ended up in New Zealand and heading up Montana's viticulture team, which I'm guessing was not the most common role for women at the time. No. So I, I, I worked in Adelaide for a few years. Jobs in agricultural science area were pretty limited at the time. And the wine industry in Australia was going through a very downtime so absolutely no jobs available there. So I went into teaching, which isn't really my forte, but it was a correspondence course and I got out and about a bit around the regional areas of South Australia doing courses and so on. And in fact, did half a day a week at um, Adelaide's top security prison teaching horticulture to inmates who grew the herbs and vegetables for the School of Food and Catering. So that was a, an interesting um, sideline. But then in, I had come to New Zealand and worked on farms as part of my um, agricultural science degree and I saw a job available in Wellington which was similar to what I'd been doing in Adelaide. So I thought, oh, I'll come over for a couple of years. So came over, didn't like the job, uh, ended up going to the States and working with a friend who was working for Ted Kennedy for his presidential election in 1980, spent a few months there, came back and thought, I'm going to toss this job in, don't really like it. So then I set up a cafe in Waikanae, just out of uh, Wellington, and after 12 months decided, God, that was hard work. So cast my eye around and saw an advertisement for a viticulturalist for Montana wines to be based in Blenheim. So I thought I'd give that a go. Came and went to the interview and they said, what would you think about living in a small country town? And I said, the small country town I grew up in was 3,000 people and Blenheim's 20-something thousand people. So I think I'll manage. And basically I got the job. 
And so ended up at Montana. And as you say, yes, not a job that one would have thought a female would get back then, but I guess having grown up on a vineyard and having some practical background as well as theory paid to my advantage or played to my advantage. And I guess it did because I was working with great growers in Gisborne and in Auckland and in Blenheim. And I think I'm a pretty practical person, so I guess that kind of came through and, yeah, it worked well for the few years that I was there. Mm. And equally, what I like about that story is it wasn't necessarily a straight path to to actually what's ended up being the future of your career. There are a few twists and turns. I love it. I had no idea. Opening a cafe, going and working on in the US, or, or teaching prisoners. Fascinating in terms of, and but I'm sure equally there was a lot that you took out of those those early roles. And what is it about viticulture and wine that you love? Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm not a great uh, wine drinker. And I guess it stems from my earlier, I used to get very bad migraines. So wine actually wasn't the best partner for that type of headache. But I enjoy wine, but it's not a passion for me. My brother-in-law and my nephew, who's now our senior winemaker, can relate back to wines they tasted last week and a year ago and so on and are right into it. But I know what I like and what Mm -hmm. I enjoy. And there's that. I think the vineyards, I guess that harks back to childhood. I always enjoyed being out in the vineyard, even if it's just walking up and down and being in the quiet. The changing seasons when the first buds burst and so on. I mean, it's it's lovely being out there as it is in any kind of uh, farming occupation to see the seasons rolling through. So I guess that's probably more of my passion than the wine. But if I hark back to university, the, the only subject I did particularly well in and got a distinction in was uh, farm business management. And um, at the time, I thought that's a bit odd, but didn't think any more of it. I have to say, now that I'm at Hunters, it's the one thing that I actually enjoy is the business side of it. And I never would have thought that. So I can roll all of the things into one, but it's the challenges of the vineyard, having to cope with the different seasons, challenges of the guys bringing the wines together and then having to, you know, sell them on and then keeping the business going. And we've certainly had some ups and downs of late. Yeah, it's I guess the passion is in the overall business, not a particular part of it. Mm, and I, I guess, therefore, in many ways, some nice circularity and being inducted not only into the New Zealand Wine Hall of Fame, but also into the New Zealand Business Hall of Fame. Yes, and I think both were equally surprising, but I guess the Business Hall of Fame more so because we're not one of the largest wineries in the country, but I guess we have endured over the years many cycles that have seen other wineries disappear and new ones come on, and we've remained, as we were, family-owned and um, still here and fighting for our place, Mm. but, yeah, hopefully we'll be here in the future. And now I I read in an article, I think, about you after Ernie's death, there were some people who thought you might well pack up, head back to Australia. And of course, you didn't. You fled the business for the last 30 plus years. What were some of the what were some of the thoughts or challenges that you were facing into at that time? It was pretty difficult. I didn't really think about it too much. I did think that we were a small business. We had employees and there was a responsibility to people to keep the business 
uh, going. At the time, we had just come through um, a time of horrific interest rates in New Zealand to the point where Ernie had sold off some of our vineyards to actually keep the winery part of the business going. Just prior to his death, he had managed to sign the papers to buy back one of the vineyards mm. um, and also to get out of, to repay the debt that he had, which was stuck with those very high um, interest rates. We were only a very small winery then and we only had focused on selling wine overseas. I mean, it's hard for people to imagine, you know, I try and say to my nephews now, in their lifetime, there's always been vineyards in Marlborough and Marlborough has always grown Sauvignon Blanc and Marlborough's always been highly regarded um, around the world. But back in the mid-80s, no one overseas knew about New Zealand wine. No one knew New Zealand made very good Sauvignon Blancs. And so it was really quite difficult to get out there. And Ernie was Irish, great um, character, and managed to get our wines into the UK market early on and was starting to really see some rewards in the New Zealand market. So it was challenging. And there was also the fact that most vineyards in Marlborough in the mid-80s had a lot of a very not very useful great Mullathurgal, which was making very bland, uninteresting wine. So it was a time when vineyards were being replanted or new vineyards were being planted. So it was just on the cusp of everything starting to change and for Marlborough to evolve as a wine-growing region renowned around the world. So a lot of challenges. I personally have never had a, a challenge of being looked at as a female trying to step into male shoes and take over. I have had no problems in that sense of taking over from Ernie, being able to keep some relationships going. But our wine consultants at the time said to me, Jane, you need to get around the world, get around New Zealand. And if there are people that Ernie was dealing with that you don't think you can deal with, you need to change them. And he said it will be difficult because you'll want to maintain the relationships that Ernie had with people. But if they're not right for you, they're not right. So start with people that you can work with. So I thought, and it was hard, but it was in hindsight, it was really good advice. It sounds like fantastic advice mm -hmm. because ultimately then it was you, you know, running it. So you needed to make sure that you could work with the people and the partners. There are two in particular, one in Belfast and one in the UK that we have been dealing with since 1986. Their sons, like my nephews, are starting to take over the businesses, but that relationship's continued for 30-odd years with those two parties and has been excellent. Wonderful. And it is with, I think, so many careers, companies change and switch and come and go. It's wonderful to see mm -hmm. those enduring relationships and, and obviously Hunter's enduring for all that, that time as well. Yeah, and I think that it's been great for us because we all have ups and downs and, and challenges along the way. And, and because we've had those enduring relationships, we've all been able to work together, so, which has been fantastic for us. Mm. What would you say have been some of the, the toughest challenges that you have faced over your career? I think people maybe, you know, a lot of people lose sight of the fact that, that the wine industry is a land-based industry and that we have all the challenges of climate. The wine just doesn't arrive in the bottle and into the person's hands. And we've had some very challenging vintages. 
We've had um, 1995 was particularly wet and dismal. was the first time we didn't make two of our top range wines and that was quite difficult. You know, there's always teachings in all of these things and for me it's always been to be very open and honest and when we realised that we weren't going to be able to make those wines, uh, we were straight out telling people that their allocations were going to be cut and why and we had to work through it. We've had the global financial crisis which was just huge on at the same time of having a very large vintage that wasn't expected and so we had a lot more wine to sell in a market that you know a financial crisis where people were exchange rates weren't working for us and all sorts of things. So you know, I often say, instead of looking at the weather every day, we get up and look at exchange rates because we are an export-oriented uh, business and probably most of the wine industry in New Zealand is. Obviously, the latest crisis of COVID-19 is a major challenge and it's really been, you know, all these challenges I think are all, always good stepping stones. At the time, you can really lose your way, but I think just quietly... Uh, as I've tried to show my nephews during this particular time, is that just sitting back, gathering people around you who can help you just to see steer a clear path and to look at various options makes it all a lot easier to meet. We're always going to have challenges. Life isn't that, that good that everything runs smoothly, but it's learning how to deal with them is, I think, the very important lesson that we all have to learn. Absolutely. And I can imagine that running the business, trying to deal with some of those challenges, the ups and downs, travelling around the world probably in terms of managing those relationships as an export business. How do you maintain that balance between your career, your work life and life outside of work? Um, I've always been very good at switching off. So, you know, would knuckle, I like to knuckle down, get the work done. I very rarely do I do work at home. In fact, it was very strange for me during the COVID experience to actually have to work from home. It was difficult for me in the first few days. Yeah, so I try and get everything done. I'm quite a, I think, quite a, a logical practical thinker. So I set out what I have to do and I'm quite good at delegating too, which is handy, passing it on to other people. It's not always easy. I mean, obviously when you're away from work, you are thinking about it, but I try not to have to sit down at a desk and do work at home. We have a very large garden and I like gardening and I like swimming in summer. So we've got a pool so I can swim, gardening, cooking. I like cooking. So that takes a lot of you know stress out of me, just changing completely, cooking, gardening. And I have a house in Adelaide, so I go back to Adelaide quite a lot. And no one there is connected with the, you know, the wine industry much. My cousins and uncles grow grapes, but we don't talk about it all that much. We just enjoy been with each other so it's quite a nice escape for me and my mother lives in Italy. In the past we've been able to get over there to see her but there's lots of things that are kind of take me out of the work arena 100% but as I said you're never quite uh, not thinking about it. Mm, I think particularly when it's your business, when you own it, you run it, um, it can be sometimes difficult to switch off. But I like those very kind of practical, mindful things, cooking, gardening, swimming, all, all great ways to find balance. You talked a little bit before about, uh, I guess, being a bit surprised or surprising others, even in terms of your career. What has surprised you in terms of your career? Um, 
Yeah, I guess, I guess the way it's tracked, I mean, I never thought that we would be a trailblazer. When I took over the business, I took over the business and we were making wines and then the wines kept winning international awards and we kept getting other awards outside of regional export of the year awards and NZT, was different things. And suddenly we were, oh, it just surprised me. I mean, I think we just knuckled down and focused on what we're doing and just realised that other people were noticing what we were doing and actually thinking that we were doing a really good job and were perhaps, especially in the early days with Sauvignon Blanc, leading the way in which we were making the wine. That's really surprised me. And it still surprises me when suddenly you get a phone call to say, we would like to nominate you for, say, New Zealand Business Hall of Fame. I think, why me? There's plenty of other people out there that are more worthy probably of this award. But looking back, we've established a business which will go forward and it hasn't been the biggest business in the world, but it has certainly been one that's garnered um, attention. And yeah, it's just, as I said, just keeps surprising me that as the wine world has got bigger and as the New Zealand wine world has got bigger and bigger, we still are able to make wines that get gold medals and trophies and international awards. It's great, but it's, it's, it's not me. It's the team that are here. And as I said, because we're a family um, business, I have my two nephews and my brother-in-law here with me. It's our life. And yeah, the surprises that that come are just because it's our life and we all have a passion for it. And as I say, we, we get the surprises out of the blue, really, that our wines are enjoyed by so many people and, and as I said, garnering so much attention. Mm. And the for me, there was something almost in there that, that the purpose and the passion in there is to make great wine it's not necessarily to win the most amazing awards those are surprises and happy surprises and obviously make a difference when you're running a business to to be recognized but the purpose somehow in there is is to run a good business making great wine yeah Jane what about we talked a bit before about some of your challenges what are some of mm-hmm. your proudest career moments I think for me, the first really proudest thing was getting the NZTE Regional Export of the Year Award, which was 1993, I think. I think that was the first time I really thought that this is my business, I'm not stepping in someone else's shoes, I'm not in the shadow of Ernie anymore, I've actually been recognised for running the business my way, and that was, I think... It changed, it gave me a lot of confidence, which I probably didn't have so much because I was always second guessing in a way how Ernie might have run things or how people might have expected him to run the business. So I think that kind of changed things a bit for me. And the second one that I think opened my eyes a bit really was winning the International Wine Spirit Competition Inaugural Woman in Wine Award. And I guess I hadn't really realised how difficult it was for some women to succeed in the wine industry and maybe not so much in the new world, but especially in Europe. And when we put in the application and said things like, I was able to be, I was on the board of, at that time, I think 
plant and food research and a couple of other things and was able, being asked to be on uh, task force and so on to give input from a female point of view on various things. I think it has struck a chord with the people. The the award's given by La Donna Del Vino, the Women in Wine in Italy. And I think it really just hit home then that maybe a lot of other women, girls in the industry haven't had probably the channels that I had to move move into the industry and run a business and, as I said, take part in everything that was happening. And so from then, it's probably made me a bit more aware of being involved with helping people move in the industry. And, we, and I, I t- extend that probably to young guys as well, because with the young guys that are here, I really try and make them think about taking extra um, courses and opening their eyes a bit further about what's available within the industry. So I think there was that. And um I think the next thing was really my nephews wanting to be in the business. We always said from the start that whilst they were both keen to be involved, and they obviously worked here during their school holidays and so on, there was absolutely no obligation to come back here and to work with us. So they both went overseas and did their different paths and um, then finally said that they wanted to come back. And I think if you're running what is, you know, deemed a family business, not all family members will want to come back into the business. And also, I always think that there has to be the right place for them to come back to. It's no good coming back and trying to work in a family business if actually the skills that you have don't suit. We've been very fortunate. I mean, my older nephew is our senior winemaker now. It's his absolute passion. He loves the vineyards, loves the wines, and is making some absolutely superb wines with his winemaking team. And the younger nephew has a a BCom, and he's really into all the things that, you know, that revolve around that on the business side of it. So they have come back and used their skills where they are needed. And I think that's been the ultimate, you know, success really, I think, is having them here and um, moving the company forward. Wonderful to have your nephews come back in and enjoy. And as you say, it's one of those challenges for so many family businesses is about actually will the next generation want to get involved and can they continue, can they continue on so that the business will endure? I wanted to come back to the point about the women in wine because New Zealand in many ways is is reasonably progressive, you're right, I can imagine in Europe and particularly Italy, France, Mm -hmm. uh, the old world wines perhaps less. What do you think are some of the perhaps the challenges or obstacles that women might face getting into the wine industry? I think that there's um, ample opportunity for women in the wine industry. But I do think that some struggle a little bit finding their way and also that the industry is still relatively small. There are the big companies, but to work your way up through the big companies, the opportunities have to open up. And we're a young industry and in a lot of cases, you may be waiting for someone to move on before you can move in type of thing. It's There's not a lot of, if you're a trained viticulturalist, for example, there are opportunities, but there may not be a lot of opportunities to move any further on than that. So Mm -hmm. I think that 
it's not the scope of opportunities that are available. It's how you can then move further in. If you suddenly want to veer from being a viticulturalist into management, is that easy? Not necessarily because, as I said, there's not a huge number of of openings. If you want to move from being a lab technician to being a winemaker, is that easy? So I don't think that the problems aren't so much about you're a woman, you can't move into these jobs. I just don't think that there's the number of opportunities around for, for the girls, the ladies in the industry who would like to keep furthering their careers. I would hope that there's no sexism, that you know, you're know you not kept in that area because you're a female and will promote the boys. I'm not sure about that. It's not something I've encountered and I don't know. I have been part of the Women in Wine mentoring scheme that New Zealand wine growers have started and that's been that's been interesting. But the mentoring that I've done has been more in trying to get the girls to focus on where the end goal is and how to achieve that rather than saying, are you being put down or are there no opportunities as such? Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum, but I think there are the opportunities in the new world wine area. I mean, when I started as viticulturist, I was a rarity. Female winemakers in New Zealand, you could count on one one hand. And really, women were involved in marketing, but not um, so much in the wineries. But now, if you look around, we have had a female cellar hands. We've had, we have female pots on the bottling line. We've had female viticultural technicians. It really makes no difference as long as they're the person that's the most suitable for the job. And that's great to hear. And I think it's nice to see that progress as well. I can imagine for yourself, see how the industry has changed. Not only you talked about Marlborough and how that's obviously completely transformed, but also actually that the industry is is hopefully becoming even more welcoming of, of the skills and talents from any gender. Jane, I was wondering, you know, you've obviously, as you said, got your nephews now working in the business with you. Where do you see your career heading in the future? Um, I say I've got to hang around or they'll have to buy me out. I don't know. We're working through it at the moment. I can see them. They are gradually taking over more and more of the daily running of the operation. And I and my brother-in-law are here still doing a bit of guiding in the background. We don't have a set date and I would say, well, I won't darken the door again, but I can see that I will be able to spend more and more time away. We'll probably set up a board and and have, we do have lots of meetings now, but have more business-oriented meetings, just keeping a check on various aspects, but they're becoming more and more into their roles and their responsibilities. Yeah, I just step back and I think that, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's really pleasing to see the way that they have really grown into the roles that they have and how in the next um, three, five years, they will get more and more confident about uh, where they want the business to head. And I'll be able to step back more and hopefully we'll have open borders and I'll be able to travel. Mm-hmm. Get back to Adelaide to see your family, get to Italy, hopefully. Um, um, maybe to Italy as well. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> and how nice to be able to, as you said, be that guiding hand through. So often in transitions and organisations, it's quite 
quite stark, quite sudden almost, whereas actually it makes for a much better transition for everybody if there is that guiding hand often enough and then slowly slowly letting go and letting that next generation come through. Yeah, and we, we, have, we have less and less. Initially, there were a few head-on clashes mm-hmm. and a few times where I've said, yep, okay, you can go for it, but I know what's going to happen. You know? mm-hmm. And then say that out loud, <laughs> I know what's going to happen, but in my head I said, I know what's going to happen. And 12 months, 24 months later, we've reverted to doing what we were doing, but that's okay. You can only learn by doing things yourself. Sometimes you just have to say, go for it, but um, there will you know, and put up with what, what happens on a small scale. I don't, mm. wouldn't let it go on a large scale, but things like uh, we're keeping to our strict range of wines, but the winemaking team have made another small range that are, they can put their whole, they can change the style and so on. So they've got to have an outlet for their new ideas. And I don't think... I would ever want to stop that. They may not always be right, but then lots of things I did in the past weren't right either. As I say, you can only learn by trying and making a few mistakes along the way and having to look at what you did and change. Mm-mm. And it's good to have that perspective. You said some of that experience and guidance, but some cases actually, well, allow that things to happen because sometimes you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes it might work and sometimes it might not. Um, but <laughs> you'll, you'll learn from it along the way. And yeah. Jane, I wondered, do you have any career advice for other women? Oh, I think, I guess what I've said to a few people here is you can, when I can see them floundering a bit, is this really the job that you want? And we've had long discussions about it. And in the end, amongst a lot of soul searching and so on, people maybe have moved on and done other things. I think there's so many options these days that you may select a course and then realise it's actually not for you. I mean, there's actually nothing to worry about admitting that and taking a step back and rethinking where you're heading because there'd be nothing worse, I think, than going to work every day and thinking, God, I hate this job or gosh, I wish I was somewhere else. I don't have that. And I'm hope, I hope that you know, the team here don't ever think that. They seem to enjoy their jobs. But I think you know, being open-minded and being able to steer a course and steer a course again if the first one isn't the one that you want to do would be my, yeah, probably my words. Don't get trapped. Just keep an open mind and follow follow a bit of passion. Wonderful advice. And that passion fit, uh, I agree, is so important because if you're going to spend a lot of our waking hours as we do at work, you want it to be something that you enjoy <laughs> and that you're passionate about. And we all have days where we think, God, I wish I wasn't here. God, this is boring. But the overall sense is actually I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I think that's what we would hope that, as I said, everyone in the team here feels. But you're never going to have 100% every day is a ripper. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Manage the ups and downs. But overall, hopefully, it's something, as you said, that that people are, are passionate about. Jane, thank you so much. It was fascinating for me to hear about your career journey, even from those early days and the different roles that you tried through to actually managing, running the business and seeing it through some of those um, major crises and how you've learned and grown and built confidence and won numerous awards along the way. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Anna. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.